You're listening to Red Center, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, welcome to this week's Red Center. I'm Mike Samuel. We're joined, as always, by... Jason Wingrove. Hey, Mike, how are you? Happy New Year, my Good, friend. Jason. How are you, mate? I'm excellent. Thank you very, very much. Refreshed and ready, and I'm sure you are also. You've had a bit of a break, which is uh, not something you get very often. Well, let's just say that I enjoyed my time off. Excellent. Yep, no, same. It was good, but... Uh, I was building a camera rig. I, you know those um, pocket uh, dollies? Yeah. So I would it's decide... Like a to skateboard wheel kind of thing. Well, no, 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 not those. It's um, like it's a unit... Um, I think Philip uh, Bloom was advertising them a year. Right. Bor- you know, borrow one, I got one. Anyway, it's basically two tracks in parallel that you mount a camera on and then you can just glide up and down left and right for what is effectively a foot and a half, two feet worth of... A slider rig that goes on top, a slider of, your, rig, yeah. on top of your tripod. That's what I was building. Ah, because they I are found actually excellent. I was I was discussing that the other day with someone. I think they're actually I thought they were a bit of a joke, but I actually think I've seen a lot of footage of the in recent days and you know five D kind of Vimeo stuff. There's some cracker shots well, with those things. You can buy them and they're great. They're like a thousand bucks. And I'm like, well, I don't want to spend a thousand bucks. I don't think you use it that much. And I discovered you could buy a, a tile cutter, which has the two <laughs> tubes and the slider. Um, and I looked at it a while ago for our. Um, our DV Rebel course that we were doing with Stu. Right. Um, but then I decided it would be much more fun if we could mount it on a tripod. And I realised that if I took it apart, I could mount it on a bit of wood and I'd reduce most of the weight. And then I could uh, cut some... Um, cut some tiles. Uh, no, no, not cut some tiles, <laughs> cut some bolts. And I could bolt it up and put a fluid head on top. And then I'd be able to run it up and down. It's only about two feet long. Mm-hmm. But it's going to cost me all of about, I don't know, $81. Excellent. All and right. you've got to say to yourself, is it worth building it yourself? But, you know, you've, you've seen our pipe dolly. Yeah, that's terrific. I've, I've used it. I think we just used it the other day, actually. It's it was, not a thing of, of rare beauty, but it no, is definitely functionally one worth. One of those things that does the job we needed to be able to make it a two-man band, chuck it in the back of my car and be able to take it, it somewhere and do a dolly. And so, yeah, it did the job. I uh, actually quite like it when you can rig stuff up like that. I know that uh, it's more fun buying brand new stuff. Before we get started on the rest of the show, um, we should actually just flag what we're doing today. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, basically uh, stuff, news, and, and uh, stuff. We've got a review coming up later in the show on um, the Red Rocket uh, SLR rigs and uh, some new equipment such as a mobile Red Rocket uh, rig. But um, it's the first uh, podcast of the new year, so we thought we'd just have a bit of a chat, actually, didn't we? Just sort of catch up. Yeah. Um, less of a uh, formal show than normal, and we guess we'll be back to our next formal. Uh, also, we Absolutely. were wanting to um, just flag to the fact that we're going to try and put out the Red Center more regularly every two weeks. So rather than promise it regularly every week and then fail, we'll try for <laughs> every two weeks um, and, uh, right. and try and stick to that. So, okay. Um, but, yeah, uh, point taken. Point taken, absolutely. But um, just while we're talking about kit, I'm, I'm really seriously wanting to buy a small Steadicam. And I'm almost doing a shout-out to people to uh, give me advice on this issue because I've, I have i don't want a big Steadicam because if I was getting a big Steadicam, I'd get a proper Steadicam operator. Yeah, but we're talking about a vest before. one, though, a proper... You know, I want one, a vest, yeah. One, a one or two up from a, like a Merlin handheld Absolutely. Steadicam Junior thing. And I obviously yeah. want it big enough that it'll hold yep. a SLR yep. or a Scarlet or an Epic, Scarlet but Epic. not so much that it'll hold a big you know stereo rig or something yeah you could put your p2 on it and you know a vest and uh, an arm and and yeah wander around but you don't have to be uh you know, to operate the thing <laughs> so 
so we've been looking at uh, the Glidecam in comparison to the um, Steadicam, and I've been trying to get somebody that can give me the definitive opinion on this. At the moment, Jace, and you might have an opinion on this. My non-definitive opinion is just stick with the Mr. Garrett Brown's inventions. The thing is, though, the Steadicam is considerably more expensive than the new Glidecam. Yeah. And they both hold about the same. Yes. I think it's like, seriously, like for me, it's a, there's a $6,500 kind of Glidecam that'll just have enough, uh, 25 pounds, I think it'll hold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus closer to like, I think it's $12,000 for the same thing in a, um, I have to check those numbers, but in a Steadicam. That having right. said that... I have used the Steadicam before, and I thought it was magnificent. Yeah, I just love the build quality of the Steadicam stuff. It's just getting better and better and simpler and simpler. And I'm sure they've got so many models. Well, I guess either Glidecam and Steadicam have, um, you know, plenty of models to choose from. I'd be looking from, at the flyer. Yep, right. Yeah, Steadicam flyer. So, anyways, yep. anyone has a strong opinion whether we should get a Steadicam flyer or the... Um, X22 uh, Glidecam. Yeah, because you'll probably be able to put like P2 on it or a DSLR or... Probably less the P2 because we're not using that that Yeah, much. but theoretically, but yes. the most you could probably put, you want to put on there probably could be um, an Epic, uh, stripped-down Epic, I suppose, with um, a red prime or a, a cook a cook on it and uh, pretty... Yeah, I mean, put Canon lenses on a Scarlet and it would be great on a for what we do for, for Glidecam. And as I say, if I wanted to go higher than that, then I'd get a proper set yeah, of operator and have like a revolutions rig with a. But the, you can get a exactly. Glidecam X22 stabilizer with the V-lock mount for the yep. V-lock batteries that we use off the the red, mm. and that's going to be you know that's a that's a <laughs> that's a B and H purchase. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'm, uh, I guess also once uh, it's going to take a little while. I know you want to get yours soon, but I'm sure that both you know Steadicam and Glidecam and everybody else is going to be starting to come up with. As we've talked about before, when you get start to get have Epic and Scarlet rolling out, there's n- so many opportunities for be able to. Now you have a camera that theoretically you can split in half. The ability, ability to be able to put you know one part of the camera down the bottom as the counterweight, and you know split the camera and put put one bit up the top, one bit at the bottom. Maybe the only thing I don't, I don't like about the Glide Cam is that it doesn't have an air, an HD monitor at the bottom. It has an SD monitor. So we were just thinking of grabbing one of our uh, red sort of seven inches or whatever and having on a, like a long cable and running it down the bottom. I mean, why the hell does anyone make anything with a standard def anything? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, most of the Steadicam stuff that has standard def monitors is in it mainly because it's to hook up with a film camera that still has a standard def output out of a oh, okay. video tab. But, um, yeah, I, uh, it, obviously Glide, Glidecam, their business is more sort of video and the low end of, of Steadicam is more video, so I really don't understand either why. The Steadicam why? LE... Flyer LE looks pretty they good. They have an HD and an SD version of that by the look of it. Yeah. So mm. that's that's going to hold about 19 pounds worth. There's a picture of a flyer with a red one right on the front of it. Yeah, on top nothing of it. on it. Yeah, just a lens. Probably hasn't even got the weight <laughs> of the CF card counted. <laughs> oh, CF card. Oh, no, you can't. No, no, can't no, do that. No, can't um, do yeah, that. so if you're listening, and let's face it, the guys that listen to this podcast are... are our peeps they're like our kind of guys that you'll know exactly what i want and know exactly what i should get and you should tell me and i'll take your advice so anyway that's it that's my uh, that's my ad it's like putting a uh, classified ad at the front of the show isn't it this show brought to you by mike's requirement for someone to solve his problem for him yeah this is instead of you buying uh, a uh, segue so well that's because my wife has vetoed the segue <laughs> for a couple of reasons um though i will point out that that the segue does not the Steadicam and the Segway would go well together. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anymore. My birthday's in April. I'm not saying anymore. Um, uh, funniest home videos. Here we come. I just want to say. 
So let's go to the news. Okay. And now, the Red Setter News. Yeah. So in the news, uh, let's start with the Red Days, because um, we obviously pushed back on getting delivery of Epic and the Scarlet in, ja- in December, yep. into January, February. And then there are, in fact, two days that have been announced by Red, uh, January 16th and February 13th. So why don't we start with the 13th, because that's the sort of more public of the two events, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So that's actually, obviously, last I think last episode we knew it was coming, but we didn't uh, quite know when. So now we do know uh, times and places and everything. That's actually at uh, February 13th, uh, Renmar Studios in Burbank, which is the old um, Desilu Studios, where they used to shoot um, Isle of Lucy. And, uh, yeah, so that's from noon till 7 p.m. and on February 13th. Uh, now, probably, I'm not quite sure whether that's something you actually need to book for or not, but uh, basically, obviously, what they're going to have is Epic and Scarlet prototypes there. They're going to have the Mysterium X uh, equipped red ones, which we'll touch on later on because there's a lot of footage coming out of those things now. Uh, show some 4K footage on a 4K Sony 4K projector and have some red film outs and guests, several guests showing accessories and posts and stuff like that. So it's definitely going to be um, something to, to head for. But obviously there's also a more um, specific uh, meeting a little bit earlier than that on January 16th, more for, uh, I believe, CML people and uh, ASC. I keep going to say ACS, but ASC members for uh, January the 16th, which I, I think we're still yet to find out what's, what's on the cards for that day. So as I understand it, the January event is really for members of the cinematography community. It's basically a, a bridging effort from Red uh, to the cinematography community. There was some bad blood there. Um, I think there was some sense that Red was ignoring the current uh, skill base almost of the senior cinematographers and sort of gunning at indie style or rather being kind of rebels. Well, and yeah. I don't think that was... Well, I don't think it was against cinematographers, no, though. I've, just, everyone I've ever spoken to at Red loves cinematographers. Yeah, just doing what they were doing. But anyway, I think it's a good opportunity to get the cinematographer group together yeah. and, and say to them, look, you know, you guys have a, a really valid, uh, you know, issues, opinions, whatever. Um, let's have a frank dialogue about, about what's going on. So there are some invitations that have gone out to the... 18th event but the main event is the February event 16th yeah so uh, that being said what we are seeing which I think is interesting uh, in the news is some clips coming out from what I'm going to call the um, well the Mysterium X or the uh, the MX yeah and Mm. so the MX um, footage the interesting thing is we obviously saw both low light tests and some moving footage Um, uh, let's start with the uh, (laughs) With Mr. Snappy. Snappy. And Snappy is awesome. I'm really not sure what kind of crustacean he is, but he's bloody fantastic. This The clip that was posted was uh, was a, like a 2K uh, ProRes. Uh, now, this was just... I mean, you saw this, Mike. This was just out... Did you see the moving footage? Yeah, absolutely. I saw it. I, I mean, I downloaded I think everybody did. Um, yeah. It was, of course, compressed by the time I got it, so I wasn't seeing the original R3Ds or anything. No, sure. Uh, but having said that, a lot of people will see R3D footage at this kind of resolution on air or something like that. Yeah. And uh, the blacks were clean. The, but the, it didn't look compressed at all to me. As I say, I pulled the whole thing right out, spanned it across my two 23-inch monitors, and I was zooming in, and I could not see at, at ISO. This first clip was ISO 800. I could not see a, a, a piece of grain, a tiny piece of flickering noise or anything. I could not see. Well, I use grain in inverted commas. Yeah. I couldn't use... I could not see no, any any artefacting or anything. It was just... 
out, outstandingly clean and sharp and just, you know, it was an amazing Now, piece the thing of vision, about really. anything like this is that people come up with reasons why it's not very good test footage because, you know, there's no skin tones or something. But there isn't anything you can hey. shoot that won't get that. I mean, imagine the original shots of the car in black that they had. Um, yeah. And everyone was like, well, it hasn't got a very big, you know, colour range. It's like, well, you know, it just looked cool that way. Yeah, whatever. So I, I think it's completely valid. But I, I was more interested, I guess, in uh, Jim taking his iPhone and using the light from it, uh, running it over a test screen, mainly because uh, this high ISO, I think, is something that's of great interest to many people. So what was your opinion of this second uh, test, which was a clip showing basically um, uh, a Macbeth chart Illuminated by the light of an iPhone. Yeah, iPhone um, and a little tea light candle and all that sort of stuff. There was some. It, it was it was pretty impressive. I mean, the most amazing thing that it was ISO four thousand, and it was also shot on a uh, a, a red zoom, so which was like T two eight. So it, you can even go you know even go deeper into the exposure if you wanted if you wanted to put a put a high speed lens on. But yeah. uh, there wasn't wasn't a lot of wasn't an awful lot of uh, you know noise or anything in there as well, and that's ISO four thousand. So what's clear it's, is, I actually, we actually saw some test clips. I think it might have been a month ago that was ISO one thousand. I think where we saw a little bit of noise, and this is now, this is only a month or so later, and we're seeing ISO four thousand with, with virtually no noise. So I'm just you know, clearly there's some you know this expan- obviously exponentially- was not as clean as Mr. Snappy. No, but not having at said all. that. There is so many occasions where this would be a tolerable amount of noise. Oh, absolutely. I was definitely tolerable. This isn't one of those, let's see how far we can push things and can we really put up with this kind of noise. I mean, this was entirely usable. red one. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's oh, a really, really big difference. Absolutely. And obviously, so really, I guess what, what apart from uh, extra frame rates, um, you know, obviously, and all the modularity and size of, of a... Um, of a Scarlet and Epic, you know, essentially people are going to get a, a reborn camera for whatever it is, four and a half grand or something, to get their camera. Which begs the question, I guess, if you move away from hardcore red users, of which I'm sure most people listening to this are, um, do you think that it's going to be an easily justifiable thing? Because you could afford to take a red one, uh, make it an MX, and you're going to have enough change left over. Uh, to buy a considerable amount of other stuff compared to buying a new Epic. Yeah. Now, clearly, they're not equivalent, but I guess my question is, do you think there's enough differentiation for people that aren't that into it, that aren't, like, hardcore, that they're going to really demand Epic or Scarlet, or do you think, actually, a uh, Red One MX will actually be quite popular? I think it's going to be tremendously popular because there's... I mean, I guess it depends on what your work style is. If you're doing an awful lot of... Uh, like, say, our friend Mark Toyer, who does uh, an awful lot of you know car rig slow motion work really highly visual visually stylized stuff where you know the, the all that functionality and the size of the rigs and uh, the frame rates are going to be in, in entirely um you know really usable for him uh versus there's guys who probably just do drama and you know it's always on a tripod and you know you're basically all your the main part of epic or scarlet that you're going to be after is going to be this dynamic range and, and all the all the bonuses of, of the mysterium x so for, for four and a half grand those guys really are going to get an awful lot more camera than and well, if we move away from frame rates for a second because let's face it most stuff is shot in a range yeah. that's handled by both cameras exactly right i mean you know exactly it's obviously the case that we'll sometimes shoot 30 32 frames or something like that simply to over crank it a bit take the edge off yep but 
but going up into the hundreds of frames is not every job. No, and I hope it's not because I like it being this sort of amazing thing and it's going to be like, you know, it's going to be like the, the sort of rash of 5D stuff we've had all of a sudden, kind of full frame, shallow focus, racked focus, kind of hunted look is, you know, getting a, getting a bit passe fairly quickly. I hope that, you know, all these scarlets that can do 150 frames per second don't suddenly make slow-mo a bit cheesy. Yeah, but, but my, I guess my point is, though, if you look at a camera once it's on legs... Mm. So you're not talking about a Steadicam application or some other specialist yeah, application. That's right. I mean, how much are you really going to notice the difference in yeah. having? Yeah. Because uh, these these clips we're talking about are not Epic and Scarlet uh, higher red codes. They're not uh, using different backs. They're using red one. Yeah. Backs look, effectively. I think. I, look for the indie market, which obviously the installed base of red ones is obviously there's a lot of that kind of stuff where people don't have an extra. 10 15 grand to you know to, to it's not obviously just going to be the money to upgrade your red one to uh, an epic it's going to be all the other accessories and, and the stuff you're going to need to go along with it i think for yeah probably for 50 percent of the people out there this is going to be more than enough i mean what we're seeing here is is you know at the end of the day the what what your client or whatever is left with is 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 the final image and the rushes, and not whether it was easy for you to mount it on something or whether you know it was lighter on your shoulder. It's all about you know how what the final images are. So you know if you can give them the, the next gen images for, for only four or five grand more out of your pocket, then I think that's going to satisfy an awful lot of people. And you know it, it, the more it makes your camera fit into the way film looks and the more the more your client can then all of a sudden not suddenly worry about hot highlights and oh if you can if it means you can get a red on a lot more jobs then just by sheerly by sheer you know upping the chip because that is remarkable how many people would still use digi beta i mean we were having this discussion at lunch look we know people that just shoot with digi betas because they're shooting docos or they'll shoot with hd cams or stuff like that Mm. and you just think to yourself cripes really yeah, uh, I mean, in the scheme of things, it's not the majority of people that are shooting on red ones, obviously. Yeah, look, definitely, it's uh, you know, even though there's four or five thousand out of there, the, the, if you look at the amount of digi beaters in out there, there's you know, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands almost. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's a no-brainer between this sort of stuff and a five uh, D, simply because we've got the color grading latitude, yeah, absolutely, and uh, and we don't have any artifacts produced from the from the binning and stuff as it goes down but um that being said i i am very interested in having a look and hearing the pricing on a 1ds no sooner have they got the 1d out that they're unboxing it that i'm like got my attention on a 1ds now 1DS. i thought you'd jump at a yeah. 1ds but you were actually saying you thought it would be too heavy well yeah i mean it's that it's that fuller body that has the integrated you know 90 degree grip where you can sort of obviously um that's what adds the bulk and the weight and you've got a larger battery inside so i mean f- personally for me it's um i want to uh, have a camera that i can also wa- have a, as a walk around stills camera or you know for family to take and you know or to, here you take it and somebody else can grab the camera you can't just it's just not as practical to have as a you know as a not just be the camera that you want to go out and, and potentially shoot a spot or an animatic or something with it also has to be the camera that you know you might want to for me anyway it, it, it would also be my stills camera i just you know i think that extra bulk that extra weight's just going to make me want to just think twice and maybe leave it at home half the time 
well, I reckon. Well, I, um, yeah, I'm hanging out. I must admit, I really do find myself. I have 5D, 7D. Yeah. I want to shoot stills with the 5D and video with the 7D. So, but hey, I mean, you know, we're we're. But it is a. a yep. The price of the it's thing. Luxury. It's going to be. It's, it's going to be luxurious position. It's going to be stonkingly large amounts of cash. For well, and certainly the video mode is going to be almost, probably not much. <laughs> I thought I mentioned my birthdays in April. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm just sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Now well, that you're not getting that segue, it's uh, <laughs> no no problem. Just, just don't keep bringing that up, all right? Um, okay. So uh, while we're just touched on SLRs there for a second, you found something really interesting on the net as well, which I thought was kind of uh, cool, done by some guys actually out of Canada, I believe. Yeah, the guys at Still Motion, uh, which is a boutique uh, wedding, like a stills and, and uh, motion studio, studio that uh, primarily shoot like wedding and portraiture stuff on DSLRs, video and stills. Um, they've got this really great sort of pretty simple sort of video on Vimeo um, comparing the 5D uh, Mark II, the uh, 7D, and the uh, the 1D Mark IV. And, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting comparison between... It's very simple. It's not entirely scientific, and that's just what I quite like about it. It's just basically all these three cameras on a 50mm 1.4, um, looking at what the difference in the... A very simple comparison between the crop factors, what, you, what your field of view is, um, um, rolling shutter, um, and, yeah, and basically, basically just sort of... Uh, comparing comparing all those three cameras side by side, and surprisingly, the the one D Mark IV. There's not a lot of. I was expecting a little bit more different, a little bit less rolling shutter. I was expecting a little bit more um, professional. You know, the the rolling shutter to be a little bit better coped with, with maybe a slightly better processor in the camera, but it looks about the same. The the low light capability looks you know about the same. It's all it's quite comparison quite comparable between all all three. The main the main thing is just it's great comparison between the crop factors. Really, I'm I'm it's a very simple little video. But I thank you for putting it up on the net still motion. And and thank you to the girl who decided to embarrass herself by doing the robot. Uh yeah. <laughs> it's, if nothing else, just watch it for her dancing. It's 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 excellent. But yeah, look, it's a, it's a very simple comparison. It's definitely worth looking at. Um, if nothing else, for get a really good idea of crop factor of what a fifty mil on a seven D versus a five D is. You know, because it's you know, yes, it is em- quite embarrassing. But she knows. It does show the. Um the rolling shutter stuff as well yeah it's it's absolutely it's interesting i mean again it's not a scientific test it's just sort of moving the camera around but but i was expecting that the 1d mark 4 to be a little bit better in the rolling shutter department but uh you know clearly that's that is still something that's gonna even the top top end of town um is gonna wow this rolling shutter is just nuts isn't it She's standing against a um, essentially like a ruched curtain, so there's plenty of vertical lines there, and it's you know quite it's it is quite. It's almost, I think it's probably of 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 DSLR footage. It's probably the biggest thing that you know the biggest bugbear, I suppose. You can put up with a lot of other stuff and the, the sound and the compression and the baked in looks and everything else but uh, yeah that rolling shutter is just something you just can't there's no there's no real workaround for that and it's funny isn't it because it's not necessarily um that it was invented with slrs it's just slrs have brought it into sharp focus yep this is 
Yeah, that, that's true. But uh, I guess, like everything else, we're all willing to to put up with the willing and to put, you know to put up with all this sort of stuff because they you know, give great images. And because it's uh, that time of year when when festive things happen and people put their feet up, you've managed to surf the net to find something else which I had never seen, which is. Uh, Actually, the other end of the process, it's the projection side of displaying footage. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. Um, somebody posted this on Twitter. It's a um, Carlton Bale uh, is a, I think he's a home theatre installer. And he had a great little uh, graph, because I know you're sort of into sort of stuff like this, Mike, into <laughs> charts. Um, basically just saying, you know, a great comparison of screen size versus viewing distance versus resolution at what stage of you know how big a screen how close do you need to sit to a screen to be able to work out you know is are you going to tell a difference between 480p or 1080p and it's you know quite quite surprising because everyone you know before i i just got a i got a um a blu-ray like about six months ago you know a ps3 i guess and everyone said ah you know it's only like three percent five percent difference between you know a blu-ray and a standard and a and a regular dvd and i just thought nah you're you're full of crap Um, maybe not three percent but it's not a not a ton of difference even even on a big 50 inch plasma you know you have to be reasonably close to uh, um to tell the difference really but it was quite interesting to look at this chart and see um viewing distances uh, compared to screen size and when you start to how close you need to get so, so give, just giving an example for a second if, if i have what well, your 50 inch plasma for example yeah let's go with 50 inch plasma yeah. that's probably so most if i'm people. sitting um i don't know 10 feet away from it on a on a 50 inch you know then i'm in a zone where uh, basically, I'm kind of like the point at which I guess you'd say you're getting the full benefit of 720p becoming apparent. Yeah. Um, and definitely you would notice benefits from uh, 1080. 1080p. Um, but, you know, if, if I was to make a smaller screen, obviously, and I was sitting that far away, like 15 feet away, and I had like a 30-inch, then I'm probably not going to be able to tell the difference between 720 and, and uh, 1080. Yeah. And if you stick with the 50-inch, forgive me, forget, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Mike, but if you once you start to get away to like 15 feet, 13 feet, say, theoretically you're getting into the borderlands there where 480, 720p and 1080p and even 480p, you're starting to get to that sort of area where it's going to be difficult to uh, you know to really determine. Well, which is why when you're at a sporting event and you look up at an incredibly crap thing on the scoreboard, it can actually look not too bad if it's on the other side of the stadium. Yeah. Um, but I will say this, though, that uh, even on Blu-ray, uh, I noticed the difference significantly. I mean, I really did see it in uh, Dark Knight when they went to the IMAX footage. So mm. this is IMAX footage and standard uh, HD, as it were, intercut in a DVD format that was all being played out at 1920 by 1080 on my uh, backlit LED. And when it went to the IMAX footage, it was noticeably better but it's that same thing about it wasn't noticeably better in the sense that my wife would have walked in and gone, wow, we got a new TV. Yeah. <laughs> it was noticeably better because be I, sharp I, to went, you. I went, that looks better. Um, but so you're noticing sharpness change? Sharpness, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a combination of things that you would put down to clarity. So there was... Um, there be- were, because even the 35mm stuff that they shot for Dark Knight would have been you know, acquired and scanned and converted it. Well, we've known for ages that you're better off shooting uh, and transferring like 4K on a telecine or a film scanner and then down-resing it than transferring the scan at 2K. Mm. Uh, even like 4K down to 2K versus 2K scans off a film scanner or a telecine, the 4K down to 2 is going to look better. 
Um, and I, I look, I took a lot of solace from this because I thought, well, this means that if I was shooting on an Epic or something and I was actually going to shoot something at 4 or 5K, I would actually notice the difference. Yeah. Because what I don't want anyone to misread out of this diagram is that it doesn't matter. It's just sort of like the point at which it becomes a, a factor that's dominant, I guess, is the way to describe it. So why the fuck are people, and they're still shooting, people are shooting today shooting with, like, the F-35. Shooting with Genesis, I mean, I don't want to fly the red flag, but you're <laughs> shooting with a 1080p camera. You're already automatically, before you pull the camera out of the box, you've made a choice to shoot at a lower resolution than what people are actually going to view it in the cinema, a, two, a standard, say, 2K scan. I don't... I well, which is why I don't think don't that... Don't um, quite get that. ...that Michael Mann's stuff doesn't look anywhere nearly as good as, oh, you know, well. Christopher Nolan's or, uh, you know... No. Well, but that being said, you know, Avatar was shot Well, that's true. HD Avatar is, was... What were they shooting Stereoscopically, on? but most yeah. of it was shot on F900s. Yeah. Um, which and is they use some, 1080p. Yep. And they use some uh, F23s and some F35s in the pickups. Mm. All of which, essentially, they're never really acquiring... That being said, a lot of the footage was generated. Oh, um, it all looked incredibly visually. great. I mean, you know, I say that, but at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff, everything looks, you know, everything I've seen digitally and seen screened looks great. You know, if you go to see Superman Returns and all that sort of stuff that's all shot Genesis, it all looks great and looks sharp. But I, I guess... In the same DVD, though, Dark Knight, uh, jumping between the IMAX uh, captured footage mm. with IMAX lenses and the stuff that isn't, I mean, it, you just, I noticed it. I'm sitting on the couch and I went... Wow. Does it oh, change ratios? It does. Right. But you would just notice it. You would just glance at the shot and go, wow. Like, it'd be shots of China. Yeah. And you don't just cut to it. And you'd be like, that's a good shot. Oh, okay. It's IMAX. Right. Interesting. I mean, it can't. Because the other stuff wouldn't be necessarily Dude, come noticeably. around. Have a beer. Sit okay. down. And I'll show you cool. um, the Blu-ray. Because I know that you, oh, you don't have Dark Knight, do you? No, I don't. Or I'll lend you Dark Knight. That'd be even go. easier. Awesome. Save me the beer. Um, so, <laughs> so, moving on, uh, you also found... Nice. Um, well, I should moving on. Let's shift gears to gear. Yes. And uh, your favourite topic, um, iPhone, iPhone apps. apps. <laughs> well, this is a cool one because I don't actually have a, 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 a red one sitting on my bench that I can actually pick up any time for, for reference. Not that I really need to have massive reference going on. But um, this is uh, just a, a little iPhone app. And again, it's free. It astounds me that people make these apps and actually don't charge for it when they actually could at least, you know, recoup some of their costs. Uh, this is uh, Pocket DIT, um, which is basically, I, I essentially, it looks an awful lot like the uh, that iPhone app we spoke about a while ago, um, IC4K, which is, uh, you know, a depth of field calculator letting you uh, calculate your storage times and what frame rates you can get out of what uh, red code uh, basically work. Which I see 4K, I've used that all the time to work out, you know, if I want to overcrank to a certain frame rate, does that mean I need to go to 3K? Um, so uh, it's been a terrifically uh, handy app. Uh, again, I think that's a free app. Um, but the Pocket, what Pocket DIT adds to it is a... Essentially, uh, I, I guess a virtual menu of the red one, and you can often work out if I want to adjust, you know, go to uh, 4.5K widescreen mode. Whereabouts is that in the menu? And you can kind of work that out. And if someone's sort of, you know, 
on the other end of the phone trying to you know off, trying to work out where, where do I find this in the menu? You can actually have this in your iPhone and and work out you know help them or help yourself uh, in in pre production work out. Um, What's where in the menu? Because it can be a little bit confusing. I do. The last thing I shot for uh, some pickups um, for uh, moving day, I was in the back of a hot car and we couldn't run the air conditioning uh, and it was, I was absolutely roasting and I could not overcrank. I wanted to overcrank. I was trying to work out why, oh, why, oh, why. So I was on the phone just like uh, begging Jimmy to try and help me. How, how can I overcrank this camera? Um, and I had no idea what... Um, where everything was on the menus because it's just you know particularly in the in the in the heat and we we were absolutely just pushing it for time to get this shot done um so luckily jim has it sort of um as part of his dna i have to say that the red one menu simulator is probably more useful than the because <laughs> yeah. no offense really, but i already have the you know ic4 yeah that's true that's true but uh yeah that's really terrific i did think that was a great idea for an app i don't know why but you know i think that's great to have to have all the menu system all nutted out so you can and it shows you all the options what are what are the options is you know you give you an idea of can i shoot uh uh, what are all the frame rates and what what's the available what's the available shutters what's the available um you know uh, shooting formats so yeah if you don't have red one to hand to hand it's great to at least have the menu in your, in, in on your phone so thank you cliftonpost.com um who's a production service in la who've done a really nice iphone app thanks dudes and uh, yeah cliftonpost.com so I wanted to do a uh, much-promised and vaguely discussed um, product review of the Red Rock Micro. Now, I've been talking about this for a couple of uh, weeks, I think, a couple of shows, and so I just want to get around to actually doing this because I think this is really significant. Um, a lot of people are looking at trying to shoot video on an SLR, and they need the functionality that, that you get from being manual, having just hit the microphone with my... Uh, with my rig. Um, so I have, I'm actually holding my hands, uh, a Red Rock Micro rig. And the rig that I chose, probably no surprise to anyone, is the uh, Captain Stubling, which is one of uh, Red Rock Micro's um, support rigs. So they have, you know, the Ultra Port and uh, the shoulder mount stuff. And a lot of people go for the shoulder mount stuff. I, I didn't, mainly because we'd shot with this in Japan. I really liked it. This is slightly different to the one I shot with in Japan because it's gone for a carbon fiber uh, rod system. And the idea with this, uh, if you look at it on the website, it looks decidedly odd because it's not symmetrical. It does. And you think that uh, you'd want something symmetrical and you'd think you'd want something that was sort of uh, left and right. And, of course, you can vary this thing. It's completely uh, interchangeable. But mm. the reason it's not symmetrical is because on the left, of the way I have it rigged because I'm right-handed, uh, there's a, a handle at an angle. And the idea of this handle at an angle is that you can place your palm uh, to take the weight, and that leaves most of your fingers free, including your thumb and forefinger, to work the uh, follow focus. And it's this that I think separates uh, and makes this rig invaluable. Yeah. It's the follow focus. Now, Absolutely. the thing that follow focuses are, they are notoriously expensive, in my opinion, for what is, after all, it seems to me like a, a geared oh, mechanism. And this absolutely. isn't. This is yeah. not an expensive uh, solution. In fact, I was with um, uh, Tom Gleason, who's, as you know, doing our... Uh, FXPHD DOP course on lighting and he was stunned at how cheap and yet how solidly built the the follow focus was full stop I mean he was like yeah you know just buying a follow focus is is expensive now yeah 
the thing about all of these rigs is you don't want to over capitalize on a SLR effectively. I mean, you don't want to end up with a rig that costs you know twenty thousand dollars on a camera that That's the thing. doesn't it's justify. It's really it. easy to to really get up there in all bits and pieces and you know variable NDs and viewfinder loops and you well, name I've it. I've got to say I'm 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 a turnaround on those variable ND because I previously was I don't want a variable ND because they seem really expensive. But now having used them, mm. uh, it is so convenient to be able to just uh, not have to put on some mount to hold the NDs and they do work remarkably well but but just getting back to the the because I know what you're saying and you're absolutely right with the mm. Red Rock Micro it, you can think well do I really need follow focus but I actually think that's exactly what you do want that is the number one thing that drives me to the rig because quite frankly I can do most of the other stuff I can work out ways of stabilizing stuff I can put it on a monopod if I want to sort of act like I uh, get you know additional stability because honestly walking around with a monopod obviously not touching the ground just acting as a giant pendulum yeah. produces enormous stability um, in a uh, an SLR now that all of that being said it's going to give you nothing uh, because you can't pull focus and pulling focus being manual and, and being sort of very cinematic and wanting that shallow depth of field you're going to be hunting around for it and so you need to be able to pull yeah. and control focus well and I think this rig is a cracker the only problem I've got with it and it's a minor criticism I guess but the actual um, Captain Stubling rig which I bought has no way of mounting it on a tripod it's a bit of a catch for young players it's a great rig for like wandering around it's a great rig for filming with uh, when you're handheld and you want that kind of indie feel of not being on legs but you know quite often I actually do want it on legs and even when I'm shooting an interview I want it on manual focus and I want to be able to control that focus accurately and it it just kind of was odd to me that there wasn't a uh, tripod mount so odd that I couldn't believe it was the case and we all looked at it like 16 times before we sort of just agreed that, yep, no, there was actually no way to mount it on a tripod. You can buy a plate for it. Is that which, what you've got on the bottom there? Yeah. yeah. So okay. this significantly yeah, increases that well. the weight. Well, it does and it doesn't. I mean, it's it's a tripod platform, and so it's a bloody great cheese plate and bracket. It certainly adds to the weight. It, it really adds to the weight. It certainly adds to the weight. But, I mean, as you say, you're totally right about the ergonomics. It's one of those things where you look at it and you think, that just looks really Stupid. odd. But, obviously, you know, they, they've really thought about it. And Stu Mashwitz, who is behind the design of this, has really thought about it. You really can get a really nice feel for the focus as well as, you know, really take the weight. And what you're not doing is you really feel like your fingers are quite light. There's not a lot of weight on your fingers that are actually doing the really precise focus. You can actually take all the weight of the rig. On the uh, palms yet, of your hand. Yeah, that's right. Yet your, your, fingers your fingertips are really lightly you know, uh, which, available which is actually for the a focus. really innovative design if you think about it because normally you're taking the weight and the weight bearing is also on the fingers that are trying to control the focus. And yeah. that's... That's death. And obviously one of the, the things and partly why follow focuses came about at all is the fact that you're taking a, a movement that goes around the, the ring of the lens and you're actually transferring it into more a movement straight out the front of the lens. So actually it, what it stops you from doing in some of those other rigs that were where you're actually doing the focus by literally touching the lens ring it's taking away your ability to put any movement into the camera as so you adjust roll. the focus. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you actually can, you know, can adjust the... And then obviously what you do is you attach the... Uh, it comes with a whole set of um, uh, plastic adult, really easy, toolless um, re, um, 
Rings. Rings, yeah, tooth, tooth rings, rings, geared rings to clamp around your, all the lenses. Um, and obviously, you can easily remove them and, and have them all set up, every one of your lenses already and geared and set now, to go. It is, it is absolutely true that the ring is plastic. And yep. you might say, oh, well, that could shatter easily if you um, sat on it or ate it or something. And that's all true. But it, this is my thing about the original premise, which is actually the same premise I had on the Steadicam at the top of the show, which is you have to kind of engineer to a budget and engineer to an application. And if your solution is that everything is top-of-the-line professional in um, in carbon fibre, then you are going to end up with something that is so expensive, uh, you know, maybe you can't justify getting it. And you know, it's, it's like even a bargain costs money, I know, but if you can get something that's affordable, you're more likely to use it and also more likely to be able to have it in your kit. I have a big, relatively big camera bag that goes in the car and from that I pull out the bits and pieces that I want depending on the, on the shot that we're doing. But having follow focus um, and also having the... So I guess the second thing I didn't really articulate very well is these two handles left and right not only have the benefit of taking the weight and being able to give you a fair amount of stability, but because you've gone out wider than the camera, um, just by the nature of leverage and maths, you actually have a more stable camera because it's like uh, it's like outriggers on a cat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, yeah, exactly. You're at, you're adding you're triangulation triangulating the the the. You know the geometry of the thing is definitely letting you uh, control and stabilize from a from a from a much wider sort of um, you know wider people, than the people camera. People say body. they want to do the shoulder rig, but I've got to tell you. Um, well, there's two. I guess there's two two completely different sort of scores of thought on the ergonomics. This is more suited to waist height or holding out in front of you and watching and viewing from the yep. LCD. And then obviously you've got the Secudo Styrix and obviously Red Rock make, make them as well, whereby you're on the shoulder and you are essentially holding them as you would an SLR, but with a viewfinder loop and more looking through, the, uh, looking more sort of eye height. Um, so, you know, I don't know, there's, there's definitely two scores of thought. I'm, I'm a bit torn. Well, I, I've got to say, as you know, this show doesn't get sponsored by people. When we buy kit when we, when we review it, we don't get sent freebies. And this However, is if something... if you want to send freebies. <laughs> this is something that I couldn't recommend more strongly. And as I said, nothing from a financial point of view. Just personally, if you are like me and want to be using an SLR, but you just miss all the comforts of profession, this sucker just... Hey, look, it's not... A lot of it is metal, but it's not solely metal. There are plastic bits on it, and I know friends of mine that have, you know, whinged about that. But most of those guys spend upwards of a hundred grand on solutions like this. And I've got to tell you, you start getting into Ari kit, which is totally great. Yeah, it's it it's phenomenal how expensive follow focuses and stuff are. Yeah, you'd pay twice what this rig costs just for the lightest, smallest, bottom of the line Ari follow focus easily, easily. Um, but you know, it gets to, it's, again, it's this horse. Of course, it's designed to be very simple, lightweight, and you know, it's not designed. You know, this is not designed to be a major sort of piece of studio apparatus. But uh, you know, I think I think it's it's for what for for what you're designed to do, which is waist height, sort of looking at the viewfinder, stable, and be able to have fine fine control of your focus. It's 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 a terrific terrific rig. But as I say, there are some negatives, which is that it does not have any way of mounting on a tripod unless you get um, uh, the additional sort of unit, which is the the um, actual tripod platform, which has this cheese uh, plate and the yeah. uh, bracket. And the thing is, they've got carbon fibre rods now, which I think is great, 15mm um, carbon fibre rods. Unfortunately, you lose most of the 
benefit of reducing the weight in the covered rods when you stick this bloody great metal. I'm sure uh, that if you re-angled all these rods and things, you could make a really, you could make it, or maybe even had slightly longer rods. You know, the viewfinder, whether you're using it with a loop or just viewing it by by eye, is exactly the same resolution. It's not making it really all that easier to focus. They're still both is still a pain in the ass. It's got to be. Seen. Yeah, I guess from my point of view, most of the shoulder rig type stuff doesn't. Um, naturally come with uh, follow focus kind of setups yeah, no, and and I, I honestly not. think even on a tripod um, I want this with a follow focus and mm. I'm not going to be able to mount easily I mean I can but I can I could mount rods and stuff when not have the handles but I could just as easily take the handles off when I'm in tripod mode but I just never do I just leave the rods uh, sorry leave the handles on even when it's on tripod mode because at any moment you may want to pop it off the tripod and of course once you pop it you're ready to go even though it's extra point of contact where your eye is on the back just to take some of the stability out but ideally yeah I definitely need a rig like this to um, make it usable at all anytime I've grabbed the because it, it, it looks perfectly fine you grab the camera and you think ah oh, this is terrific it's when you watch this stuff back and you go ah oh, there's some really there's an awful lot of fine vibration that come through that often you can't see just playing back on the back of the back of the camera. You've got to put it on a laptop and then you'll really start to see it. It's definitely there unless you're using some rig that gives you well, that extra sort of third point of contact really, then uh, expect some sort of vibration. So this, uh, this rig that we've been talking about is um, uh, I think $975 uh, to go to mount on a tripod. I, I think it's one of the best things you can do for video cinematography on a, an SLR. Yeah, so if Gran has given you that envelope at Christmas, Jace, with the, you know, yes. few hundred stuck in it. The for, micro my Gran never gave me $1,000 in an envelope, but, you know, <laughs> she gave me $5. But anyway, if you've been saving up your $5 since you were three. <laughs> and anyway, you're now in the new year and you want to, um, uh, you know, really lift your game. And I've got to say, it isn't about the equipment. Obviously, you could mount a... Um, an SLR on a tripod and uh, manually do the focus just by adjusting it. But I have to say that um, uh, I just love this thing to death. And yeah. it's, it's not perfectly made, but it's very, very well made. And you're really only um, a couple of bits away from if you uh, attach, you know, like a shoulder mount and one extra rod, you're only that far away from having an actual shoulder mounted rig and be able to use a viewfinder loop, really, really. Yeah, it's like a Meccano so you, set. You yeah, exactly. So you can use this and, and uh, you know, and, and add to it. So. And I was keen to talk about it because we've talked about, especially in the earlier uh, days of this podcast, but it was always about uh, lens adapter type things where we were talking about, you know, yeah. converting uh, lenses with, uh, with rigs and, of course, I just don't even think about that these days. I'm, I'm either shooting with Canon lenses or with uh, with PLs. Yeah, so I think um, I'm going to actually probably get. Uh, I'm going to go to the other ca- pa- the other sort of camp, and uh, I'm going to looking at a more shoulder mounty rig. So eventually, when I actually lash out and uh, get something like that, we'll review that as well, and we can have a bit of a side by side, have a bit of a, a rig off. But I mean, look, you know, with with without a doubt, um, it's you know, it's great if you can play with these things and. There are shows coming up, obviously, that you can get to if you're in the right place. To yeah, because there's, everyone's got five or six different rigs, and you've got to find out lenses that you like to work with because, um, you know, there's uh, a, a rig that's going to suit a 50mm, a fast 50 is going to be completely different to what if you're, if you're used to using the 70 to 200 or something, or you're really only wide. You don't even need to worry too much I about mean, the I, focus. I fell in love with this in Japan with Stu when he was shooting with his. Yeah. Um, and it was the follow focus and just the build quality. And that was actually, you know, as I say, an earlier model. It wasn't the carbon fiber stuff. And uh, I got back and ordered one. But it's one of those things. I think once you've played with one, 
you kind of fall in love with them. And prior to that, you're thinking, oh, maybe it'd be a bit plastic, maybe yeah. it'll rattle so, and have too much give. Mm. So yeah. have, a, have, a, have, a, have a bit of a play. It's one of those things where you need to sort of have it in the hand to sort of be able to sort of appreciate uh, what it can do for you. And the, I, I follow focus, obviously, what you, you're talking about adapting it to stills lenses, which have notoriously very small throws, have very small mm-hmm. increments from, you know, 10 feet to infinity. We've talked about this before. It's, it's very hard. You really want to have as the, the finest control as possible. So, you know... Extending that, or you know, um, giving you a really fine motor control of that versus just grabbing the ring on the lens, it's all, all going to help. Particularly, I mean, I just punch the zoom button on the seven D, so obviously I'm, I'm I've got to actually see what my focus is. Yeah, true. And true. then I just uh, ride it and adjust my, and you know, you can write on this with the Chinograph and or a, you know. Yeah, you can so do marks. Like so yeah, you could for an indie rig. You could certainly, um, you know, use <laughs> use it as a. That we should discuss the rig that you came up with, old school on. Um, uh, on moving day with a bit of gaffer tape and um, what did I come up with do you remember you wanted to pull focus really really quickly oh right yes I used a, a zoom stop but essentially used it as focus so I wanted to have a really we wanted to do and I think we were fairly under crewed at this point in the reshoots it was reshoots. a pick up day now, was just a pick in, up fairness, day. in fairness we were way into pick up days way into pick up days no no we shot the whole thing in what two three days yeah. anyway yeah, anyway. So, uh, you just came up with a series of innovative um, old-school techniques that day. It was uh, just something out of the back of my cerebral cortex from years of focus pulling, which was, uh, I think you basically call it a zoom stop. You can use it on zoom or you can use it on focus. It was essentially using the rods of, uh, you know, rods of your camera and looping, a, basically, a, it's entirely scientific, it's highly complicated, uh, attaching ta- some gaffer tape or camera tape from the rod and then taking it round the top of the lens and uh, sticking physically sticking it to the barrel of the lens, be it your focus or your zoom, so that it cannot go any further past a certain mark. So it lets you sort of go, say if, you're, if you've got a focus pull from infinity to uh, out, or say from 20 feet right up to say 2 feet and you want to really you want to be able to hit that mark and not go uh, beyond it uh, really only useful if you know that the object you're going to be pulled focused to isn't going to be really isn't, let me, isn't let me paint going a to mental be too picture variable. for you listeners um, has anyone ever started a uh, petrol driven chainsaw and you'll yank on the pull string to cause it to start. Well, imagine Jason hovering over this red camera with a piece of tape going round the lens, which he's going to yank really hard. The only thing that stops it spinning to the point of the other lock, as it were, uh, was the second piece of tape Mm. that acts as basically like a brake. And it is slack at the beginning, and as it spins round, it suddenly comes into its own end and slams that zoom or focus pull to a stop. So it's basically a tape-assisted stop with another yeah. piece of tape acting, as I say, like a uh, a ripcord to. Uh, and so you were just you were just tugging on that sucker, <laughs> so and it was just it was like sounds really complicated now that you bother to explain it. Like a lot of things, it's extremely simple. You then, of course, need to have another piece of tape on the inside of the sticky part of the tape, so that when you <laughs> so that when you uh, go to your far far to focus, it doesn't stick to itself. It only yeah. sticks to the very end. But yeah, it's very very simple. There was, there was another one you did the same day, if I remember. You you did one with uh, oh, nice. using was it um, something as a as a underneath the. Um, the tripod we went low and we didn't have a hi-hat oh right and spread the legs and just put the lock off of the camera down on the shop bag or something did I? Uh, something more than that and then the other one was when you you were lighting that uh the shafts of light through the uh through the windows and uh yeah through the cracks in the and you were mounting bits of uh mirror on tripods <laughs> and then aiming that <laughs> 
We want a little shaft of light in the uh, shed in uh, in the film, and uh, there's little tiny little gaps in uh, the wood of the the shed. And I think basically yeah, imagine wooden plank walls. Mirrors would have been terrific, but basically I think what we did was we got uh, filters, six by six filters, and gaffer tape the filter frames to the top of a tripod head a spare I think. tripod yeah. a spare tripod head from your P2 camera and basically just uh, and, and obviously Tom Gleason was behind this stupidity as well um, yeah using them as using the filters as mirrors but then it all fell apart I think when we, when we needed to change a filter <laughs> and the filters uh, were gaffer yeah, taped ah, to a second tripod oh let's go to the uh, ND9 ah it's gaffer taped to a tripod on the outside <laughs> it's used, being used as a light source <laughs> These are the things you got to do in the world of indie, but uh, no, it's it's terrific. I think it's, I had a ball. It's, it's fantastic to get back to that sort of paperclip and rubber band. Well, technology if it works, it works really well. And of course, the other thing is you're not trying to impress anyone. You're just trying to get the end result. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah, no, I'm not sort of doing it for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a great rig for um, for low, low, low work that wanted to still feel somewhat handheld. Someone got a basketball, cut it in half, mm. and stuck it under oh. a plank of wood. Right. Drilled a hole in it and put a tripod mount. We so often use the wok, wok camp, pan a wok or whatever, which is basically essentially a wok with a, a plate on top of it. So essentially you screw that to the bottom of your camera mm. and then you've got essentially your camera is on. And you even use the handles of the wok <laughs> as a, um, if you imagine, I guess. Yeah, but this wok, was the same thing, but because it was a basketball, basketball it had shock absorbing value. So yes. it walked while simultaneously <laughs> taking out micro uh, frequency. Walked and walled. Now, we we'll often use that in, uh, uh, on the camera if we want to have that sort of loose head feel where you want to have, rather than just take all the fluid out of, a, uh, out of the tripod, turn, you know, basically yeah. turn it all to zeros and have that sort of annoying NYPD blue pretend yeah. handheld. Often will, if you don't want to necessarily put the camera on your shoulder all the time, but still want to have that sort of handheld feel, which is the ability to maybe not just have tilt pan and tilt but have that little bit of sort of roll axis as well yeah. basically just unclip the camera put a butt, put a tennis ball un- between the tripod and the camera and just sit it there obviously you've got to take the weight but you're not taking all of the weight it's then just it's oh, you're, literally you're, you're just holding it from like falling like a fluid over. head tripod tri- tennis the, ball sits on top of that you, camera rests on top do of do your it. setup do your lighting okay. do all your rigging and framing with the camera bolted yeah, yeah. to the tripod and then okay when you go to shoot unclip the camera tennis ball under all those big kind of kids kind of versions of tennis balls and bolt them which is the same as your half half basketball thing put that under the tripod and then you can basically just um yeah can uh, rock and roll basically just, without just, and it looks like handheld yeah, particularly no, no, if you're long lens sometimes handheld repeatable that's yeah. the problem you see because you're now uh, on your shoulders your body moves in and out it's yeah not, but if you're actually on the tennis ball you actually mm. don't move that much in terms of focus for being able to you know be able to exactly for absolutely focus. yeah absolutely you can even then dolly if you want to yeah. and the other thing is that i mean what you normally would go to that for is if you're in a slightly longer lens because a longer lens sometimes you can't quite hold it handheld smooth enough so this is kind of like the handheld look but it's a little bit smoother because you know you can you, it's just because it is i don't know why it's just a slightly sort of firmer version you don't have a human body underneath it moving around you've got a bit more fixed fixed um sort of rig under the camera i guess so it's for lo- handheld look for longer lenses i guess and yeah there's no fatigue and it still doesn't look fake you know it doesn't it, there's a real difference between actually hand holding and doing pretend hand holding it's really subconscious and sometimes i annoy the shit out of camera operators by saying no 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 pick it up you can't just put it on a bag 
and just put it on a cine saddle because it just doesn't look the same. You have to physically take... Not that take, there's anything wrong with cine saddles. No, 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 that's terrific, but it's not, it doesn't look like handheld. You have to physically take the weight in some way or even if it's just a matter of just putting your, cam- your hand on the camera to stop it from falling off a, a tennis ball. There's something psychologically <laughs> different. Jason didn't bite on that, but last <laughs> no, shoot we had... didn't. I, I was, we were talking about kit and, and I said, look, the thing we need for this thing is a cine saddle. I said, let's just buy a cine saddle because it's so useful. It yeah. lasts for forever. It doesn't matter what camera you've got. And if you don't know what a cine saddle is, it's basically like a small bean bag with uh, very, very robust cable tie places. So you can literally put a camera on this sort of U-shaped, banana-shaped bean bag oh, thing. you can lash it to carbon. And then lash it to carbon. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it doesn't cost much, but it is, you know, a proper bit of kit in mm, one sense. Definitely. But in another sense, it's super cheap. And, of course, it's not going to scratch a car because it's a, it's a bean bag. Um, so I let's buy this thing because we're going to, you know, and then someone came back and said, you realise that even though it's a beanbag, it's still going to cost hundreds of dollars. And I said, well, you know, we're going to use it and How it's much a good can thing it to be? have. And, and as soon as we got on set, Chase was like, oh, I don't want to use that. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? So I have an unused cine saddle sitting on the uh, I we'll, still we'll believe the, the next shoot that I have without you, I'll we'll use it. To it. Just <laughs> insist on it. No, but in cars, there's so many Sometimes places that just... Just sitting it on something is quite good. Yeah, yeah. Cine saddle is an absolutely sort of brilliant piece of kit. I'm trying to even remember who makes the thing, but they are just they're Australian inventions. Are they? Yeah, absolutely. That's why you've got a um, a digger kind of with a slouch hat on the logo. Ah, okay. Yeah, right. In many respects, while we're talking about indie, low budgety stuff, and that we're claiming that isn't, we're claiming, but actually it is. I mean, that is one of those classic sort of mother of invention kind of devices that uh, that now most grips obviously have in the truck sorry cine saddle yeah 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 absolutely cine kinetic uh c-e-c-i-n-e-k-i-n-e-t-i-c so sort of turned into the the red center discussion of <laughs> bean bags of, well i was going to say you know sticky tape and and uh and cable ties for, you go to um, cinekinetic.com there's actually the story of the cine saddle so maybe we'll uh, we can't can't watch it now but uh, maybe that'll prove the uh the australian um the Australian heritage, right or wrong, but uh, yeah, no, it's an absolute must. Yeah, as you say, most grip definitely, uh, every grip truck, truck would have one in there. Certainly here, it's uh, you know absolutely must have. You know, my favourite truck outside grip trucks, it's it's standby props. That they I want. Yeah. Oh, standby yeah. props trucks. A good standby like props heaven. guys truck is just absolutely everything in there. Every known form of tap. Every yeah. known form of yeah. Can bit you of make tube? me some cat vomit now, or I really want to sort of stick this cup on the ceiling and I just want to be able to yeah I want to be able to rig this door so it closes automatically oh yeah the last the last job I did I had like a million sort of weird rigs that we thought up at the last minute like that and the standby props guy we used was just a sensational who was doing that? this uh, Paul Arnott and right, he's, he's just uh, sensational and we had to do this thing where we had a sliding door but we needed to automatically close or have a sort of a sliding door that would that was passive it would just open it and it would stay there but i want to make it sort of close automatically and he had this thing with wire going up through the roof through through a you know an office roof yeah. down to the other side across a c-stand and uh he had his electric drill tied to the string and it's just i just, I just love what those guys can't do with a low speed electric drill but do it like that that's yeah. the trick is to be able to do it just uh, my ass has been saved so many times by those guys just partly because you either didn't didn't think of it or the, the rig you thought would work does doesn't work and you know this is the ultimate sort of ass saving, saving machine is the standby props truck for sure 
Though in the days before VFX made this really easy, I remember. Yes, exactly. Was, I told you the story. The grip truck with, had these sections of tube, and I was looking at it, and I said, what are those for? And he goes, ah, they are the exact diameter that will fit on the outside of a stop sign tube post. Right. Like, imagine a metal post going straight up, big stop sign on it. Yep. And this was the diameter larger than that, that it would totally encase it. And he looked at me with a smile, like I would get that. And I was like, um, why do I need to put a tube around an, an air stop sign? And... <laughs> And, you can rip and it. the next day, they showed me. <laughs> there was a stop sign in shot. They got an angle grinder out, cut it, right. <laughs> walked out of shot because it was a drama, put, shot the shot, then put the tube around the, the stump, put another bit in, and then got the welder out, welded the top and bottom. Good as new, mate. Not a problem. Excellent. <laughs> Someday a council guy's going to come along and go, did we repair this, Dave? <laughs> well, that's the stop sign facing the opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't we don't advocate vandalism, but no, no. Sometimes funny. you just got to do it, like those go, <laughs> like like those gojacks. You've seen gojacks. Gojacks. What's a gojack? Well, gojacks is kind of like it's bizarre, and we've done it where like there's a car parked right in the freaking shot, just where you need to shoot, and it's sort of there's a, probably laws against it now, but um, a gojack is essentially um, it's like a, a it's like small uh, what do you call it casters four casters on a plate about the size of this laptop and you could essentially clamp it you clamp it round a wheel and then you hoist the lever and the wheel comes up off the ground so with four go go jacks you can put them all on a car and essentially just wheel a car out of frame before (laughs) take the shot wheel the car back in (laughs) the the owner is none the wiser i've used those on green screen shoots with cars because it's really hard to turn a car around in a studio Exactly. And you don't want to move the green I've, screen. Exactly. I've done the same. Absolutely. Particularly but when it's car. you can a car like on its centre. Yeah. If you want to p- p- precisely. Like yeah. But if you've got like a range car shot, the Gojeks are like essential. If you want to, you know, that that middle car, you just want to just, just anti-clock it a couple of degrees. And, you know, it's tight to get in. It's hard for someone to get in and out of the car. You know, and you want to start the engine in the studio. It's just, yeah, just strap the Gojeks on and... Uh, but it's but it is entirely excellent if you if you this is actually, the shot you have to do you know you've had the location guys have been <laughs> camped outside this location for two days and they've never seen the owner of this car come and you know i, I have lifted l- a car out i've been one of seven guys that lifted a uh, <laughs> just lifted a fit bambino out of shot this is possibly the, back in again this is possibly the less vandalistic way of doing that but yeah i'm sure there's there's i'm sure there's a 50 million legal reasons why you probably shouldn't do that but yeah, uh, <laughs> not least of which is none of going, which film crews really give a shit yeah, about well no that's yeah okay it's true um, <laughs> anyway Hey, uh, you've got one last piece of kit that's got nothing to do with... Uh, though I'm always tempted to finish on that note, but um, it is pretty interesting, this. This is... Because um, I've been saying for a while, why the hell do we want a red rocket on a laptop? Because there's nowhere to stick the darn data, so it's a waste of time. You're going to be able to play out to a projector, but I don't see why red rocket is of any advantage unless you've got some kind of mobile um, raid. Yeah, so now... I mean, theoretically, uh, uh, this is now maybe Mike. You can sort of maybe elude me as to maybe the, the finer points of why we'd actually want this. But this is essentially it's an enclosure for a Red Rocket card. Uh, this is made by Max Digital. It's mobile Red Rocket. It is essentially lets you to bring the functionality of the Red Rocket card into the field with MacBook Pro. It's entirely designed to work with the 17-inch MacBook Pro. It's the same footprint as a 17-inch MacBook Pro. So essentially, uh, it's like a one-unit high. Um, essentially enclosure put your red rocket card inside 
then you connect your MacBook Pro through the three-quarter three-quarter Express slot, um, and it also features other PCI slots in there, so that you can um, uh, put um, RAID cards, other video cards, you know, Blackmagic or Matrox uh, capture cards in there as well, and uh, yeah, have the whole thing together and in the field. Isn't this good? Is this good? Well, or I was is it saying stupid. I was saying it was really stupid in principle because if you get a Red Rocket card under a laptop, it gets this R3D file, say, coming off your laptop. Yep. But what's it going to do with the decompressed footage? Right. So you it's need like, to well, have... run it out to a projector, but that's it. And then it's like, well, then I've got to take a whole raid out. But yep. I think I'm right in saying that on... This was on uh, Red User. Somebody's actually got a companion thing to the thing that you're talking about that's actually a raid. So this sits on a RAID, right? And therefore, actually, had somewhere to run, and you need multiple spindles, you need multiple drives. But even if you were going, if you were going to go out and about, you'd have to bring a, a Mac, Mac Pro, which is you know not inconsiderable amount of lugging or freighting potentially. Yeah. This is a lot easier to put this in a in a Pelican case. You're still going to have to have a even if you had a Mac Pro rig, you're still going to have to have a, a an external RAID anyway, wouldn't you? I suppose you could have you could have it internal if you wanted to, but nine times out of ten, you'd want to have an external raid anyway just out of convenience i suppose but uh well this alone is not a solution this alone is just part way there you, you definitely need the raid to sure to do it um yeah look i mean theoretically i mean most of the horsepower of the processing is coming from the red rock card not so much the macbook pro yeah you know get that much data it just done. reinforces my theory that it's a good idea that we're going to be going to vegas in april with a film crew because there'll be fun things there and those fun things all include fun things in this area of the market. <laughs> Honestly, I just don't think... I think from now till April, we're just going to get rumour central. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there is, there is, there's probably no doubt... Our CES is essentially rolling out now as we talk, and there's definitely going to be a whole bunch of stuff in the next few days that we're going to want to talk about next step. Do you but, think it's uh, going to have a lot of stuff in our end of, um, um, of the market? Yeah, well, there is, there's meant to be some... Uh, Canon are meant to be sort of mentioning some stuff, Nikon potentially. There's definitely, there'll definitely be some stuff. There is, there is just a couple of little sort of low-end stills cameras that are actually you know, doing some... some there's um, Samsung have... Uh, uh, an interesting little camera that'll do 70, 720p at the moment, which is a, uh, it's I guess it's a hybrid between a DSLR and a Micro Four Thirds. It's a it's an APS-C sensor. I think it's called the NX10. It's a uh, APS sensor, APS-C sensor, um, but it's mirror. Obviously, it's mirrorless, like the four three uh, Micro Four Thirds cameras. Um, so it's kind of like the same size chip as a 7D, yet uh, has the sort of compactness of like the pen camera. And so it can record 720p. Uh, I've no idea. I'm sure it has no manual controls whatsoever. But it's interesting the way these things are changing, that they're taking the thought behind the Micro Four Thirds uh, system, which essentially is, is let's have no mirror let's have no you know all your fi- all your monitoring and viewfinder is all electronic let's get rid of the whole mirror box thing and prisms uh, make the camera a lot more compact but now they're starting to apply that micro four thirds technology but now have a bigger chip so you've got something the size of uh, a pen camera yet right. has the chip the same size as, as as a red one essentially and does 720p so look, this is the kind. Of, this little, you know, this is definitely the low end of the market, and I wasn't really going to mention it because I mean it's in, it's interesting to, to show where things are going and 
uh, eventually we'll, we'll, we'll get something like a, a Leica M9, which is full frame, but we'll do, you know, hopefully do do some. Uh, you'll have like a a rangefinder version of a Canon 5D soon. I'd love to see something like that. It'd be fantastic. But um, you know, definitely down even down that bottom end of the market the video mode for cameras is 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 growing and definitely people are starting to think outside the square so yeah look definitely it's going to be some exciting times at nav for sure and ces as it involves as it evolves well that's about it for this week thank you guys so much for listening uh of course you can follow us on uh, the internets in various places um obviously the easiest place is at fxguide.com uh but also on twitter where uh, Jason is just Wingrove, Wingrove, and um, I am Mike Seymour. Uh, we've just started a new term over at FX PhD, which has both an SLR video course, uh, multiple red courses, including one called Day and Night, which is kind of interesting, and uh, and, it, and as I said earlier, a lighting only class, uh, like a specialist focused uh, cinematography class just on lighting, which would be uh, fantastic. That sounds yeah, really good. Yeah, it's actually really good. <laughs> I must admit, I'm, I'm personally very happy to be having that i know quite a lot of people um happy so uh check out that that's over at fxphd.com um until next time please uh, keep your emails coming please do and do you want to tell them where they should email red at fxguide.com could not be simpler thanks so much for listening guys welcome to the uh to the new year yeah happy new year keep keep listening talk to you soon bye thanks for listening If you have any questions or comments, please email us, red at fxguide.com. Copyright 2010, FX Guide, LLC.